Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC main card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow fight analysts Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Viv section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-hosts, as always, Connor Rebush. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> I did actually have to cough as I unmuted it, so... <laughs> So you are, in fact, just that big a mess like that? Because I'm, I'm smoking a bong over here. Am I right? Huh? <laughs> right, buddy? <laughs> this is the tone of the show now. That's right. Comedy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, have, you ever, have you ever watched the fights on weed, man? <laughs> you got to try it. Okay, Andy Bravo. <laughs> That's what I forgot. We already have the weed guys in. Yeah, this. let's claw this back. Okay. Don't need to hear about crackhead control today. Or this the, this move is called the uh freaking uh uh the the sh- the shatter smoker. Okay, the uhs and the stumbling <laughs> through that really sold it. I know you were just Not clawing gonna... desperately for something stupid enough to say, but I that really. Think... Made the joke. I couldn't think of any weed things. <laughs> the, the, uh, 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 the, uh, <laughs> the friggin' blacklight poster. <laughs> right? They like those. <laughs> those, those weed kids. <laughs> I couldn't think of anything. All right, fine. All right, it's not a weed show. Fine. <sighs> We're here to talk about UFC 296 going down at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada, because even the UFC knows that when they actually have a good card to put on, it shouldn't be at that shitty apex. No. And uh, a fight card that is really pretty solid. Except no complaints. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait, hold on. You had an accept. I that? had a couple complaints. First is really just another Colby Covington title shot. I will be so glad when that era of insufferability is over. This is it, I think. I mean, uh, I do think so, too. I I think the chips are down for Colby Covington. It really does not feel like he is a man invested in his MMA career anymore. It really just feels like he is invested in finding his exit plan to something else. And I don't know what the something else is because he's a black hole of charisma. Uh Uh-huh. But did you see that, that, uh, that thing I sent you to go all Harvey Birdman on you? No. Where did you send it to me? On, on Twitter. Oh no. Hold on. Should I watch it now while we're doing it? It's not a watch. You just, you just got to read it. Okay. 
This is when I was okay. It's you just yelling at me for being late today. I don't know what that's about. Yeah, yeah. Is oh, it's 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 not it's not a DM. No, it's not a DM. It's just a tweet. Uh, all right. This is good listening, by the way. Yeah, this is everybody listening. Oh, here, <laughs> here, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. This is a quote. He's pretending to be everything he wishes I was, Covington <laughs> said. I'd love to slap Sean Strickland around. He's just a pathetic excuse of a human being. The guy has literally no freaking IQ. The guy's so <laughs> beeping stupid. The things he says, he needs to get his mouth wired shut, and I'm the guy to do it. The UFC knows I'm the one that can end these guys that hate the company, and they hate the world, so I would love to fight Sean Strickland. Wow. Such a moving speaker. Yes, and I would like to tell you, Connor, to also stop trying to be everything you wish I was. Or stop pretending to be everything you wish everything I was. I wish you, yeah, okay, yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll try. <laughs> Thanks, that's good advice. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I have no clue. <laughs> pretending to be everything he, he, he he's, he's pretending to be everything he wishes I was. He's pretending. I think he means to say Sean Strickland is pretending to be me. He but, wishes he was everything I am, I think, is the thought he was trying to express. I think what he's trying to actually say is that Sean Strickland thinks I'm an edgelord. So he's trying to be an edgelord, but I'm not an edgelord. No, I'm normal. And let me prove it. I'd love to slap his freaking IQ around. I... God, he's following that uh, following that statement with talking about how stupid somebody else is, is really just a masterclass in Tito Ortizisms. He's got like the charisma of um, Elon Musk. Yeah. Just like the Colby Covington approaches you at the party and you're like, your brain goes into overtime, like survival instincts kick in to get you out of a long and protracted conversation with this guy. Sean Strickland is actually, I hate to say this, a much more likable person. Oh, no question. Yeah. Absolutely. There is a, we've said this before, there is a candid nature to Sean Strickland. Yep. Absolutely makes him more likable. Colby Covington, you don't know who that man is behind the mask, except that he's pathetic. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I also... um would, would you like me to stop I mean, stop pretending to be the man that you, I wish you were? That would be great. Yeah. I don't I doubt you can do it to be honest, but <laughs> it would be great. It's true I do wish you were successful and <laughs> <laughs> and you are pretending to be successful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, I appreciate that you wish I was successful. Thank you, Zane. Yeah, I wish you a lot. <laughs> me too. Yeah. <laughs> I also, I mean, I, you know, my feeling was certainly that I wish they wouldn't make this fight. Yeah. When it was announced and so did Leon Edwards. So hopefully the fact that it's happening means I hope they didn't just wear him down and insist on it. And in fact, through some, some change his way, because yeah. he was like, no, I don't want to Colby Covington doesn't deserve a title shot. And he was right. So I guess my only actual really complaint, uh, real complaint with this card is that it it somehow managed to be packed with some of MMA's absolutely most unabashedly annoying people. Yeah. Top to bottom. 
You got Colby Covington. You've got Tony Ferguson and Patty Pimblett. I'm sorry, Tony, but at this point, you are way off the end of yeah. guys I don't need to hear talk anymore. Ian Gary, I, I, I so far I kind of like his brand of annoying, but there's no question he's annoying. He's really annoying. Yep. Bryce Mitchell. Oh, yeah. Really annoying. Uh, Cody Durden. Really annoying. Mm-hmm. Cody Garbrandt. Mm. I mean, he's too he's too dumb to be Not annoying. Really annoying, is he? He's too endearing. It does really feel like the you, you're watching the the last two brain brain cells like huddling together yeah. for warmth, and you can't help but be like, oh, you know, that's okay. Yeah, that's the theme of the card. It's all the annoying personalities. Another theme that I that I noticed when I was uh, um, discussing this uh, with uh, with my boy Phil McKenzie. Yo, 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 it's your boy, Phil, as he often says. <laughs> One's governor, surely. <laughs> yo, 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 it's thy sacred lord and master, Philip. Um, is that the, another theme of the card is um, fighters getting old. Oh, yeah. Their styles either changing for the worse as a result of it or certain interesting cases of fighters who can't change even though maybe they should yep but there's quite a few like crossroads matchups in this card none of these are real downers like annoying personalities make the fights more interesting it's true um and crossroads matchups have meaning you know who's going to uh have their careers worth of hype stolen from them and and given over to a new up-and-comer kind of thing like and and the fights are good it's all It's a lot of ranked fighters. It's a lot of name fighters. The matchups look pretty exciting. Basically, all the all the complaints are like truly trivial quibbles because it yeah. is a very good card. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun, and we've we've made more than a few uh, exceptions over the years for the idea that you, we don't have to like you as a person to enjoy you as a fighter. So. Certainly not. No, but the Colby thing, he shouldn't be here. But you take consolation in the fact that probably if he doesn't win this, it's probably not happening again. And I think he'll probably retire. Like, and honestly, if he does win this, it seems like the kind of thing where he's going to be he would have one fight left in him. Yeah, I was joking that he would have his lone title defense against Worley Alves. Yeah. Give me a super pathetic Bisping Hendo moment <laughs> and then he's gone. Yeah, it does oh. feel like I, don't I say, think Colby I think Covington he's... willingly letting himself be fed to to like prospects. I don't he think se- he seems like if it. there's a secret personality there for him too, it's lurking under the surface. And it is very secret. It is very secret. If there if that person is out there, the the feeling I get is honestly that that person is sick of MMA. Yeah, he you seem know, to enjoy it. He, he doesn't seem like he's enjoying it. Yeah, he doesn't. Like Conor McGregor does, he has a very loud, annoying personality that doesn't fight a lot anymore. Too. Mm-hmm. I don't actually get the sense that Conor McGregor is sick of MMA. Conor McGregor seems like he very much still wants to be known as a fighter and to maybe, yeah have some fights entirely on his schedule and of his choosing and the way he wants to do them. Yeah. But it seems like he wants 
to fight. Still. Maybe. I mean, that I'm not saying for me to tell, but I, I get your point. Yeah, I'm not even saying that he's going to fight more. It might not just make any financial sense for him, and it might be too hard for him to get himself motivated to he's train. He's certainly still like watching the fights and commenting on them, and exactly, keeping, him, keeping himself slightly relevant no matter what. I mean, yeah, he does and seem invested at least in the world of MMA to some. He extent. seems invested, and Colby Covington, I just you know, I feel like you don't hear anything from him until it's time for him to fight at this point. Yeah, and then it's just about how much he hates all these people. And yeah. doesn't want anything to do with them. It doesn't sound like somebody who's happy to be here, you know? Yeah. And I just don't see Colby as the guy who would be happy to be like used to yeah. prop up somebody else's career. I just think no. this, this may very well be like the last big fight we ever see from Colby is the feeling I have. Yeah. Cause I think but you're right. He just doesn't like it. Doesn't seem like he does. Yeah. Because even even other fighters that are assholes, they usually talk about things in a way that is more like speaks to why they're still here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Patty Pimblett, he may be incredibly obnoxious, but you still very much get the feeling that Patty Pimblett is like filled with desire to be fighting. Yeah, 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 yeah keep fighting people and to train and all that. <clears throat> well, another thing about Colby, and this will be our sort of segue into actually talking about the fight mm-hmm. is, uh, he is the first of the several fighters in this card that I noticed were, um, getting old. Yeah. This is the thing that really jumped out at me is, uh, I mean, sh- I mean, shit. First of all, I was surprised by how long it's been since his last fight. Yeah. He fought Jorge Masvidal in, uh, what was it, like March, April of last year? March of last year. So it has been a year and nine months. It's been nearly two years. Yeah. Since his last fight. Um, and the only supposed injury to show for it was a couple of busted teeth that would have kept him out. He's and, just been waiting for his title shot, I think. Yeah. Like, he's like, I'm not going to do it unless it's for this. Yeah, which, which is why I think he won't do it if he if this ends up being his last chance and he and he misses it. Yeah, I mean he he it seems like it's a very steep Miocic place to be, and yeah. nobody thinks steep Miocic is about to take a bunch more fights either. No, certainly not. Um, also, a lot of people listening are upset that you just compared Colby Covington to the beloved steep Miocic. Eh, whatever. Yeah. Um. No, I get it, and, but I noticed, man, like two years ago almost and he does not look good in that Jorge Masvidal fight uh-uh. and he does not look good uh in the rematch with Kamar Usman which took place like half a year before that <clears throat> he um basically I think we have a pretty clear case of the result of the first Usman fight having irreparably broken something in Colby Covington yeah Right. Colby Covington was it's it's really because he's so unlikable. It's really easy for a lot of people to be tricked into thinking he's never been good. And that is not true. No. Colby Covington was clearly one of the very best fighters in the division, mm-hmm. I would say. And, and just had a just a super straightforwardly functional style. You know, he's a just a um, dyed in the wool pace fighter who really, really believed 
in his durability mm-hmm. and really believed that as long as he kept playing his game, both on the feet and wrestling, pressing forward, throwing combinations, that he would break people given time. And Kamar Usman hurt him and then knocked him out. And now he knows he's mortal. Yep. It's like um, a much less sympathetic version of what happened to Karolina Kovalkiewicz. Mm-hmm. And it probably coincided with him getting a little older as well. But what happened is he tried to reconfigure everything about the way he fought. And we saw the fruits of that process in the second Usman fight mm-hmm. in which he was like trying to be on the back foot. Like his technique is not good enough to not be playing the pace pressure game. Yeah. He's never been a fighter that moves his head is slick defensively is really mindful of his spacing and yeah. uh, his positioning. He's always been a fighter who, yeah, he's just going to be there and he's going to be pouring it on and he will, you know, stick you with enough little stuff to deal with. Yeah. That you get stuck. If you're trying to counter him, you're constantly waiting for that opening to counter and it never comes. That was his idea. That was, yeah, he's just filling all the gaps. Yeah. It's pure MMA meta game planning. It's just the meta is pace and pressure and I'm going to do all the pressure and all the pace filling all the gaps with offense. Yep. And uh, taking that away, you're left a dealing with this sort of technical foundation he's working with, which is great. And B, it sort of compounds this process of getting older and slower. And he is, there's no ignoring it. Watch, you know, his recent fight and then go back and watch, say his fight with Damian Maya. Mm -hmm. He's way slower than he used to be. Um, And this is compounded by the fact that he had his confidence shot because now he's being a slower puncher, a slower striker, slower, you know, shot taker from a longer distance. He's trying to like shy away, um, which means that he lost one of the great qualities he had, which was the ability to throw a lot of stuff without losing his balance. Uh You know, he he used to have pretty sure footing Colby Covington. It made him look like a better technical striker than he was because he was reasonably quick. He'd keep his feet planted and he would whip out a three, four punch combination from a good balanced position. That's gone. Every time he throws a combination now, he's lunging in from too far away because he doesn't like just being in range all the time anymore. Yeah. Um, And it leads to him stumbling and falling off balance and getting hit worse. And so what we saw in the Usman rematch was him trying on a new style, which just clearly is not suited to. It's too little too late. And then getting pantsed by Usman and then instinctively reverting to his old game. Which, go figure, ended up making the fight very close and competitive again, as the first one was. Yeah. Kind of worked, you know. But he has to be coerced into doing it. And even against Jorge Masvidal, a much shorter period against much less resistance. But he does still try to start that fight and kind of each round not doing the Colby Covington thing, but doing the MMA Masters Colby Covington. Yeah. And then he gets like his leg chopped up really quickly in that fight. And he's like, okay, I have to run at him and wrestle him. 
but he still has to be persuaded. He doesn't want is the feeling I get. He doesn't want or feel comfortable doing the thing that, you know, he doesn't feel comfortable anymore with the, the girl that brought him to the dance. Yeah. Um, because his confidence was shaken, but also cause he's just getting old. He's getting slow. Uh-huh. And, um, I think it goes without saying he would really have to be doing the main thing to, to really trouble Leon Edwards, right? Yeah. He can't be on the back foot trying to pot shot with Leon Edwards. He tries to pot shot Leon Edwards. He's getting killed. Yeah. He is getting his leg destroyed. He is getting huge body kicks landed on him. If he's lunging in from too far away with one or two shots at a time, he is getting drilled with hard counters. It's just not the right way to fight Leon Edwards. Um, so the a question I have is how long does it take for mm-hmm. Leon to convince Colby to fight him properly? And should we expect that to work as it did against Jorge Masvidal? Basically how much like Jorge Masvidal is Leon Edwards? He's a little bit like him. Stylistic. So there, there, there are some, some some stylistic similarities. Yeah, I'm not going to say it's totally both, dissimilar. Both can be a little too passive, a little too interested in defending and neutralizing. Both can kind of lose focus mm-hmm. midway through fights. But Leon wins the close fights that he gets himself into. That is the thing. <laughs> Jorge Masvidal has lost a lot of close decisions. Well, Leon is helped especially just by the fact that he is also a very long fighter, which Jorge Masvidal... He's not. Masvidal. He's Edwards is three inches taller. At least for his the divisions he had most of his career in, he was quite tall and long. Yeah, was but he's bigger than Gilbert Melendez when they fought. Sure, him. but Masvidal doesn't. I'm not. And Masvidal has a great jab, but he doesn't like to fight long. No, he likes to fight inside well and he can do it but he's just he is really inconsistent with it he's yeah. he's inconsistent in a different and more damning way than leon yeah Edwards. Leon will drift he'll take his eye off the ball but it is very difficult to just leverage that into picking up all the rounds yeah edwards hates fighting him. inside he's <laughs> always true has. yeah and so he doesn't try he spe- tries to spend no time in there and spend all of his time fighting long yeah and he's a better ring general like yeah he can definitely put on the back foot, but just like repeatedly trapping Leon against the cage um, is harder to do than it is. Yeah. That is that is a career long tendency of Jorge Masvidal's and Leon is just a better navigator yeah. of the space than Jorge has ever been more attentive to his position in the cage. I think a lot of that is just because Jorge want he wants to he yeah, yeah. wants to invite that inner that inside fight, that pocket fight. So when he's going backing up to the cage. It's sort of like, yeah, okay, come get me now. Yeah. You know, where with Edwards, he's like, okay, I'm skirting away now and you'll have to chase me. So anyway, I mean, you know, if I trusted Colby to play his A game, if he was a few years younger, if he was speedier, I'd probably expect him to give a pretty miserable fight to Leon. Yeah. Now I'm not so sure if he has it in him. I'm not so sure how quickly he'll get rolling on that front. I'm not so sure how well he'll do in the clinches he's going to end up in. Uh, if his takedowns aren't like hitting hard and off balancing Leon immediately, then he very well might get savaged in close range where Leon is very, very good in a way that Jorge also, this is another advantage he has over Jorge. 
Jorge's he gets beaten up in the clinch typically. Yeah. Or controlled. Leon crushes people in the clinch. It's a really good last line of defense against pressure fighters. Um, you'll notice I'm not really asking because I don't know. Has Leon Edwards fixed his game? Yeah. Because you might be you might think so based on his last fight, which was amazing you know a really really impressive performance which like flew in the face of a lot of his career-long bad tendencies sure was that him stepping up to the plate was that him rising to the occasion uh of a third fight with kamara usman you know having a lot of experience against one guy did that make it easier for him having it ham clearly by his team having it hammered into his head that yeah. he needed to change things. He needed to be more assertive. He needed to stand his ground. Um, or was it him recognizing in some way, was it him changing more broadly? I, I think it's quite likely it was just a one fight thing that we're, we're definitely still going to see some of Leon Edwards, bad habits cropping up again. Mm -hmm. Even so I just can't pick Colby over him. Not this Colby. No, I think a big thing for me was looking at that Masvidal fight. As Colby has like that was. gotten slower and been more cautious about how he pressures, that really brought into that fight the fact that Colby is also not a... He... He's a he's still a wrestling grappler yeah. as a wrestler. He's looking for dominant wrestling positions and not necessarily dominant grappling positions. And I know it seems a little weird to de delineate those, but mm -hmm. uh, it, it means, you know, there's. He he can get like he got a lot of takedowns in that fight. But he didn't or would rarely, you know, let it was rarely a thing where like, oh, Masvidal just can't get up or can't move. Like a lot of that, a lot of him controlling Masvidal was against the cage. Yeah. And it was very much in line with the way that Masvidal gets controlled in a lot of fights. Yeah. But his takedown game, you know, I think back to the RDA fight, too. Mm -hmm. It's just not really a oh I'm gonna hold you down. Yeah, no game. Again, the game is it's pace. That's his it's whole pace. Thing. Yeah, you can fight back to your feet. I'm gonna take you down again. I'm gonna be right on top of you. I'm gonna be throwing yeah. five quite fast punches as soon as you pop up. That's the Colby game. Rinse yeah. and repeat, not you know dominate the position. Yeah, and. Coupled with the fact that he's not a big puncher and never has been and is probably not a bigger puncher now at this point in his career. Certainly not. Uh, it also just kind of means that Edwards is always going to have a chance to get back up and do some damage to find Colby, especially at this point in his career, resetting back out his distance mm -hmm. and not resetting right back in the pocket. There were more moments in that Jorge Masvidal fight where Masvidal started to be, he had times where he was able to put together little strings of offense mm -hmm. 
when he would fight his way back up and get back to distance with Colby and then, you know, get get Covington at the range where he's least comfortable. And Covington would drive back in and get another takedown and all that. But Edwards is a more dangerous striker at this point in his career mm-hmm. than Masvidal is Certainly. or was then. And those those and situations are going to. Yeah, that was the other thing. Is and like better conditioned after a round of that fight. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just think that there's, you know, I, I don't feel like this version of Covington at this point in his career is going to still be able to grind his way five rounds to victory against yeah. Leon Edwards. Even if he just, can win three rounds, I just feel like at some point he's going to get caught with a with a knee ducking in or sure. caught with the switch kick standing back out at range and resetting. Yeah. You know? He's going to pop up in a clinch and try to strike on the break and be a hair too slow and get elbowed in the face. Yeah, that's the thing. It's just, um, it's just, Leon is just a harder guy to grind out as a, to begin with than Jorge Masvidal, particularly that version of Jorge Masvidal. Mm -hmm. And uh, Colby's not nearly as good a grinder as he used to be. Yeah. It's just he has he has the game has been sabotaged. There's some essential pieces missing. Uh, and you can see that because, like, like I said, the last two fights, each time he has to do that, he has to be coerced into playing that game. Like he doesn't even it's not what he's trying to do in the gym, clearly. Yeah. And so he's getting clumsier at it in addition to just, you know, de- deteriorating with age and, and wear and tear and understandable loss of confidence from his first knockout loss. And it has to be noted too, um, especially dangerous for Covington is that, uh, Edwards only threw, um, 170 strikes in his last fight against Kamaru Usman. Mm-hmm. which is less than Covington has thrown. Let's see. Even in his lower output fights, that's a lot less than Covington is throwing. Mm-hmm. Covington threw through only 140 in his fight win over Tyrone Woodley. So that's and otherwise hasn't thrown less than that in God knows how long, mm-hmm. maybe going all the way back to, no, even Damien, my Jesus, he was inaccurate in that fight. <laughs> um, you have to go all the way back to Dung Young Kim. Other than that, Kamara, that Tyron Woodley fight to find a fight that Covington threw fewer strikes than Edwards did against Kamara Usman. But Uz, uh, Edwards also has landed more strikes than Colby Covington in that fight. Mm-hmm. Than Covington had in t- uh, going back to his first fight with Kamaru Usman. <laughs> Edwards landed 74% of his strikes against yeah. Kamaru Usman in their last it's, fight. It's also a fight where he threw significantly less than the guy he was beating up. Yeah. Like, he he's just really accurate. 
yeah. in a fight where if Covington is resetting out to out to range against him, Edwards is going to be landing a lot clean while doing less work. And he's a harder puncher. Yeah. In part because of the accuracy, but also he's just, at least last time I saw him, still looks like a pretty good prime athlete. Yeah. He was only 32. Yeah. Yeah. If you just look at the raw stats, actually, for accuracy, Colby Covington, 39% over the UFC career. Leon Edwards, 53%. Yeah. Across all his fights. I mean, that is a very accurate striker. It really is. Has to be said. So, yeah, it's just, it's hard for me to look at a fight where Edwards could very easily potentially work less hard and land more strikes. Yeah. In a fight where Covington is going to be banking on trying to grind him otherwise and not being a great finisher. Yeah. Like, could I still can't. be a frustrating fight. I would not overlook the possibility of sure. Leon taking his eye off the ball at some point, as he so often does. You know, but yeah. uh, and you can't deny there's a toughness and a scrappiness to Colby Covington, the sort of oh. sweaty of a sweaty, desperate variety. <laughs> but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I mean, he doesn't. He he may get to points in a fight where he does not like the fight he is having anymore. Yeah. But he never gets to a point in the fight where he stops trying to have that fight. No. You know, so if you are going to drift in the fight, then I mean, I, as I think Kamaru Usman kind of did in his rematch with Colby, you are going to find uh, it's kind of miserable. Yeah. Fighting Colby. There could be some bad moments late for Leon, but it's just hard to pick this version of Colby. It is. I just think he's lost it. I think he's washed. (laughs) Edwards opened at minus 115. He's currently down at minus 160. Covington opened at plus 104. He's currently up at plus 143. All right, that brings us to a flyweight title fight. Alessandra Pantoja, Brandon Royville. And this will be a hell of a lot of fun. Absolutely. It was a hell of a lot of fun the first time. Uh, Neither of these guys have many fights that aren't a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah. And Royville does not know how to fight any other way than the way he fights, which I know <laughs> sounds stupid, but like Royville is he, this is a man who I think firmly believes he could be somebody different mm. if he wanted to that he has the skills to fight like a different guy, like, Oh, I could be technical and on the back foot and, you know, having a real clean, cautious fight if I wanted to, but I'm here to scrap and put on wars. And I absolutely don't believe that for a second. Yeah. So that's, like, that's, that's an interesting angle. Cause, cause obviously this is more straightforward to make a pick on because we've yeah. seen it before and it was a pretty definitive win for Pantosia. Yeah. What do you make of, Royval's immediate reaction to that fight, which was the matchup with Rogerio Bontarin, mm-hmm. where he tried for just a minute to be really capital T technical. 
Yeah, I just didn't like it. I didn't think it suited no, him. It, it didn't suit him, clearly. But he, he went away from it. Yeah. After that, like he's sort of his last two fights after have just been Brandon Royville fights. Yeah. Do you think, bo- does that suggest he's going to try to be more that guy? It might. Uh, I could easily see it. But if it does, I think he's just going to lose again. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I just don't. That, that's the thing I think I'm getting towards saying is that I just don't really see a path that. There are ways Brandon Royville could win this fight because Alessandro Pantoja himself is no like he is not not one to avoid danger or fight the clean fight because that's what might need to happen. Yeah. So there are always going to be opportunities to catch Alessandro Pantoja. Sure. But. Usually, people who actually beat Pantoja mm-hmm. are people who themselves are so considered and consistent in what they want to do, or physical with what that they want to do, that they can just box him out. Yeah, you know, you look at. Davison Figueredo, you look at Askar Askarov, you look at Dustin Ortiz, and you have three fighters who are all uh, very, you know, capable of being physically controlling, or in the case of Figueredo, capable of being physically controlling without having to physically control you. Mm -hmm. Figueredo being somebody who can, as we saw against... um, Oh, what's his name? He just fought. Rob Font. Rob Font. Figueredo can just kind of create a fight where you just don't want to fight him that much. Yeah, and also that was Figueredo, I think, at, at his physical peak. Yeah. And his confidence was unbelievable. Like, yeah, he just went in there and just smiled his way through Alexandre Pantoja's best punches and just hit him harder in return. Yeah. Pantoja, other than Figueredo, was by far the hardest hitter in the division. Yeah. It's just a poisonous matchup because it was like just somebody who was simply a small level above Pantoja physically and just didn't have to respect his game. Yeah. And then otherwise, Uh, you've got Askarov and you've got uh, Ortiz, and they were both able to outscramble and outgrapple and control. Yeah. Yeah. Control Pantoja that way. Could dictate the grappling. Something yeah. Brandon Royville has no interest done. in. That's the thing. Is it like, and not and not only no interest in. I just don't think he can do either. It's well, he doesn't just, have any practice at it. That's for damn yeah. sure. He hasn't tried it yet. So, and of course, as we've we've also seen out of Royville uh, many times now, he may not. He likes to think of himself as exclusively a striker. Hmm. But he will initiate almost all the grappling in all of his fights. 100%. Like, he is absolutely in that Kevin Holland, um, oh, Gerald Mearshart mode where Holland is out there shooting takedowns on Gerald Mearshart, yelling at him to stop (laughs) wrestling him. Complaining about all the wrestling that's happening. Yeah. (laughs) That is Brandon Royville to a T. He will be out there 
like jumping guard, pull, you know, rolling for knee bars, shooting a takedown, whatever. And then just be like, only bitches grapple and I'm no bit, you know, it's just like <laughs> absolutely clueless to his own modus operandi, <laughs> which is why I, I also just don't believe he can really change it. Uh, I don't think. That, well, I think the last attempt we saw to change it was not was not particularly persuasive. Exactly. That uh, that, that, that fight big. with Bonterrain and Bonterrain is a pretty slow paced. Yeah. Like he is a in some ways a decent parallel for Pantoja. He's, you know, a sort of squat, hard hitting flyweight, <laughs> powerful, you know, has some positional grappling to his game. Yeah. But just a lot less intensity. Yeah. And still, I did not think Royval won that fight. Yeah, it was very close and un, un, unsatisfying, no matter Shit, whether you want to get uh, the win or not. You that'd be one to look at the stats. Let's see. Brandon Royval landed 40 of 132. Yeah, it was a messy 30% fight. accuracy. Bontarine only landed 28 significant strikes, but... 28 of 58, and they were harder. <laughs> they were harder, and he hit eight takedowns, controlled yeah. a bunch of the fight. It was just one of those things where it's just like, do you do you credit the volume or do you credit the con- the power and the control? Well, I'll tell you one thing, folks. Uh, and this is some scoring advice. You can you put this in your pocket and take it with you. You do credit the volume when it lands. Yeah. Make sure you keep that in mind. That's a good tip to remember for scoring fights. The punches, it's best if they land. If they don't, you can kind of ignore the volume. (laughs) True. These are, these are big words of wisdom from Connick here. (laughs) Yeah. Big Um, leaf, leaf blower, uh, energy on the feet in that fight from Brandon Royval. And I just think like, if that's, if that was an indication of the approach he might take, if he tries to change things up, Pantoja is not Bontarine. He's higher paced. He's more aggressive. You give him that kind of space. I mean, shit, he's a better kicker for one. Like he'll uh-huh. probably just whack you with some really powerful kicks from that range. Um, but I didn't even think it worked against Bontarine particularly well. So yeah, and then we have the fight—the fight that they already had to go on, which was one yeah. where or Royval Classic. Royval dove into scrambling with Pantoja and found out as he has found out on a couple of occasions now that he can't actually out scramble this person. They're just a better grappler than, than he is. They can beat him to every position. And they're just more positionally minded. Yeah. Royval, well, that's why they can beat him to every position. Yeah. Royval is an insanely good scrambler. Yeah, but this is such a classic dynamic of the flyweight division. Like, he he fought Pantoja, and at some point the scrambles stopped, and they stopped where Pantoja wanted them to. Yep. And then when when the flow ceases, Royval is kind of stuck. Like that's not how how his game was designed to work. Yeah. So. You gotta take Pantoja, and I, yeah. I gotta take it by some sub- submission. I gotta assume that sure. Royal is going to, at some point, even if he tries to come out with a back foot game plan, he's gonna yep. be convinced not to do it anymore. 
And at that point, they're going to hit the mat. And at that point, Pantoja is just the better grappler. And yeah. Royville will he will work himself into mistakes by being aggressive. And if we're continuing a theme of fighter styles um, maturing as they age, um, you know, which is sort of a, uh, which is really about like, uh, you know, fighters um, as as young men, they they just get to sort of set aside thoughts of their mortality and their fragility. You know, as young men do. I'm immortal, basically. Huh? This will go on forever. I can't be killed. And then, you know, Colby Covington got um, symbolically killed in the cage, and it changed him for the worse. He realized it was possible. Pantoja still hasn't been knocked out. Still doesn't fight like a man who believes he can be knocked out. Yeah. He still fights like a young man. Um, and I think that's bad, because Brandon Royval would really like to overwhelm and confuse and scare his opponents with the sheer variety and flexibility of his of his game. But there's a lot of holes that can be poked in it against yeah. somebody who is simply fearless. And I yeah. believe Pantoja, unless something has changed now that he's a champion, he's he's, you know, defeated his absentee father symbolically. <laughs> he's gotten to the mountaintop. Maybe he becomes more defensively minded like a lot of champs do. Who knows? But going off of what I've seen. Pantoja fights like a fearless young man who wants to kill you and doesn't respect your desire to do the same. Yep. And yeah, he's just going to, I'll pick him by submission too. I mean, again, this is an easier one than the main event just because we've seen it before. And what we saw was he just got to good positions, mostly back control. He killed the, yeah. the momentum of the scrambles. And then Royval quickly got very uncomfortable because that is, not makes, the kind of game he wants to play. I'm a little surprised at the odds, frankly, because oh, Pantoja is—he's the favorite. Opened at minus 200, but currently only at minus 182, and climbing. So those odds that have been climbing closer. And Royval opened at plus 178, and he's currently at plus 163. That is surprising. He beat him pretty strongly last time. They yeah, fought. it was a pretty decisive victory. And it was a path that we've seen Royville lose before. And it's a path we've seen Pantoja win before. And it just feels like a very set track of where both men are. Like I said, I don't really feel like Royville can can help himself. Yeah, I don't really feel like there's a different fight out there for Brandon Royville. Well, and, and like I said, with the Bond train fight, if he does try to help himself, I don't think he'll really be helping himself that much. No, I think it'll be I think <laughs> it will go worse. That idea would go worse enough that yeah. he would go back to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Cole his, with tomorrow. Yeah. His basic plan and end up grappling with Pantoja. One way so. or the other, he's going to have to grapple with him. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't. Uh, and even if he doesn't, I just like Pantosha is like, what are you going to do? You're going to you're going to overwhelm him with some crazy spinning combo. This isn't Kai in France. He's going to be like, oh, great. We're punching each other. Yeah, you're you're going to land one out of every four strikes you throw and you're going to let me throw my own. OK, Pantosha again, big hitter. Yeah, <laughs> dude is a thudding puncher for flyweight. Yeah, you just have to pick him. I think I would I would have expected him to be a healthier favorite than that. Yeah, I would have expected more in the like 300, 400 yeah. range. Uh, anyway, pretty definitively. Yeah, let's let's. That brings us to our welterweight bout: Shavkat Rachmanov, Stephen Stephen Thompson, and um, Stephen Stephen <laughs> Stephen. You've only you've only read his name eight thousand times, you know. 
Anyway, if you go, you, 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 <laughs> yeah, I was making, I was busy making fun of you. You just sort of no sold it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I just don't find you all that amusing. Tom. Excuse me, Zane. I'm trying to call you stupid. If you could please. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Come on. <laughs> um. So here's the thing. Another fighter who's getting old, Stephen Thompson, and for him. What that process has looked like is that sort of all the stuff he tacked on to become the great MMA fighter he was has seems to have like rusted and fallen off first. Yeah. The wrestling. This was a quite a late career addition. I mean, Stephen Thompson, when did he make it to the UFC? He was already in his like early mid thirties, wasn't he? he? Well, he's only 40 now. Yeah, but he was like he got know. to the UFC in 2012, so 11. He was 29. Okay, all right. So you know he was just entering what should have been his prime. Yeah. Ideally, you'd like to have had added these skills already long before, and he did an incredible job adding them that late. He mm. basically learned to wrestle after getting to the UFC. Um, he did a great job of it, you know. And he also learned to be a better boxer after getting to the UFC. He added some more boxing elements to his uh, sort of point fighting karate game. He added some head movement. He added a better jab, better counter punching skills. And some of these things, particularly the wrestling, have more or less completely sloughed away. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is really honestly just that. I think a lot of it is that he's got the footwork still to outmaneuver a whole lot of other welterweights out there. But the raw speed has. But the speed has diminished. And yeah. what that tends to mean is that for secondary skills that he's had to, that he right. learned slowly, that his reaction times for those are even slower now. Yeah. So no, no one's going to take the muscle memory for karate footwork away from steven thompson yeah but when you shoot a double and he has to dig for underhooks yeah it might take him an extra step to remember that that's what he needs to be doing right now yeah he's just a step too slow the footwork is technically well uh ingrained enough that you don't notice the loss of speed so much in striking yeah which is why you see him out there and anybody who contends with him on the feet that they, they still usually get outstruck by steven thompson yeah, but the, the B game has diminished. I I also do, though do have to note here that I think that Kevin Holland fight, um, is not actually a great sign for Thompson. No, I don't think it was a great sign for either guy. <laughs> uh, well, cause, I mean, for Holland, he he broke his arm in it, didn't he? I believe. Yeah, whose fault is that? He broke his hand. Yeah, he broke it okay. off the top of Stephen Thompson's head, throwing the stupidest punches imaginable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for, Holland is always he's always going to have that brain thing of his. Um, he also refused to out wrestle Stephen Thompson, even yeah. though that was that possibility was dangled in front of like, him. Like I said, Tom Holland brain thing. That's always yeah. going to be a thing. <laughs> yeah. Um. But for Thompson. When Holland, before he broke his hand, yeah, the first round of that fight, if you go back and watch it, is a lot of Kevin Holland 
walking Stephen Thompson down and punching yeah. him hard enough to hurt him. Yep, yep. A lot of it. Like, he did not have a lot of trouble, in fact, tracking Stephen Thompson down on the feet no. and hitting him really hard. It was the experience and the essential toughness. Stephen Thompson, like a lot of, like, slick stylish fighters does not get the credit he deserves for being insanely tough. Yeah. As basically all elite fighters are, but um, mm-hmm. the toughness was required to get to the point where his experience could carry him. It's true. Yeah. And yes. where Holland was falling apart. Yeah. Falling apart. He essentially one handed and broke his hand started the gas and made yeah. some terrible, terrible strategic decisions. Yeah. Took some help. For Stephen Thompson to demonstrate that uh, he does still have something to fall back on. But, yeah, I agree. He looked old. Yeah. He's been looking increasingly old for his past several fights. and It, it um, was a step – it was, I think, a, a notable step difference than the Jeff Neal fight is what I'm saying. Where, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was still a, a, a Stephen Thompson who could just outmaneuver Jeff Neal every step of the way. And Jeff Neal is a more predictable fighter than Kevin Holland. So that didn't, yeah, you know, yeah. that, that didn't hurt either, but I'm, I feel like there is perhaps another step of speed. Yeah. Starting to be missing. I mean, it was a full two years after the Jeff yeah. Neal fight. And two embarrassing wrestling losses in a row uh, between them. Yeah. Yeah. He's 40 years old. You yeah. Know? It's just, it is going to happen. The point is, is that uh, a couple years ago, and with the help from a couple of bad strategic decisions from Shavkat Rachmanov, which he is capable of making, mm-hmm. you might have picked Stephen Thompson here, right? Sure, yeah. He I would mean, have been tempted. You're like, boy, Shavkat's hittable. Boy, he's just constantly walking into range, and his every thought is towards offensive answers. Like, oh, this guy's going to yeah. punch me. What am I going to do back to him? Yeah, yeah. Shh. You watch Stephen Thompson's fight with uh, Jorge Masvidal or his fight with Vicente Luque. Mm-hmm. Like these dudes who just walk after him, thinking they're going to overwhelm him, they get shredded by Stephen Thompson. He's so yeah. good at dealing with that style. And I expect we're still going to see flashes of that style matchup here. Oh yeah, I I would not be at all surprised if Shavkat gets stung seriously a couple times. Yeah, he's going to walk into some clean shots. He's going to find Stephen Thompson. Harder to overwhelm and out position than he expected. And if he can't finish him early, he might find himself in a pretty difficult fight. Yeah. But you have to pick the young man because he's super durable, Shavkat. Uh, once again, a young man who believes himself unkillable. Yep. And he just eats it. <laughs> he just doesn't care. You have to think about that Kevin Holland fight. And Kevin Holland as a as a reasonable comparison here too, because Kevin Holland actually does a lot of that same kind of striking that sure. and did against Thompson that we I would expect Rachmanov to do. There's a lot of Holland lately, as we've noticed, that is just looking to be a big puncher. Yeah. And he just was like, Okay, I'm gonna walk in on Steven Thompson and hit him. And it worked, which is yeah. why I'm concerned. But you also then have to think of like Kevin Holland getting takedowns on Thompson without a lot of trouble and then giving them up because he didn't, <laughs> he wanted to strike and have a fun performance against Thompson. Yeah. Which that option is just right there for Shavkat though. If he wants yeah, it. Rachmanov is not 
going to be that guy. He's just not. He wants to he wants to inflict himself on you. He does not care how it looks. He wants to inflict himself. He wants to be damaging. I mean, it's possible he's not going to lean to it would be a bad decision. I I think I would the still, first I would chance he gets to, to win put Thompson on the mat. Yeah, you think he's going to do it? Yeah. I think he's just going to do it. Um, I think he should. It would it would be a very smart decision. Um, did he try I to think, take Jeff Neal down at all? Uh, he yeah, actually he did. And it was a real credit to how fast yeah. and powerful Neal can be that uh, Rachmanov actually struggled a lot to get anything like a take. Yeah, he shot four yeah. takedowns and didn't get any of them. He He has, in fact gone for shots or often clinch takedowns. He has gone for at least one takedown against every UFC opponent. Yeah. And I look at this more being like the Neil Magny fight where Magny is, you know, on that slower train and got wrapped up by Rockmanhoff and just got hulked. Yeah. I certainly would not like to see what happens to this version of Steven Thompson against the brutal submission hunting kill mode grappling of Shavkat Rachmanov, even if he does not make that good strategic decision and the stats suggest that he probably will. Yeah. Um, he's just better at being the come forward puncher than Kevin Holland. He's yeah. just as dangerous with his hands, but he is a much better combination puncher when he thinks about it. And he normally doesn't have to care. He can also like pull off some slick, aggressive counter puncher moves in the pocket. Yep. Yeah, the man can slip and roll and and come back with vicious counters. It's just that sometimes he's like, my head's right here, and okay, try to hit me. I'm going to hit you back. Yeah, it's just you got. It's just a one where you absolutely have to pick the man in his prime. You do. Uh, Rachmanov is the favorite by a wide margin, open at minus five hundred. It's currently at minus six thirty three. It's very wide, but it really is. Thompson opened at plus three thirty-eight, currently at plus four eighty-one. Not picking very, Thompson. Very wide, but I would not pick Stephen Thompson here. No. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a lightweight bout: Tony Ferguson, Patty Pimblett. Ah, uh, yes. And this is this is the real. If this were five years ago, oh yeah, I I would be picking. Tony Ferguson without a moment's hesitation. This is going to be less fun to talk about with you because you, you, you may not be aware. This is Phil McKenzie's fight. Yeah. He, he has been asking for this matchup. Oh, cause he's a sick man. I wanted Patty Pimblett versus Jim Miller. I thought that would be a really fun. Yeah. Jim Miller still is enjoying fighting. You know, he's still picking up wins here and there. Yeah. He's just as old as Tony, but he still has the passion for it. Yep. And uh, that would have been good. I, li- yep. I like that matchup. Ferguson See, but you have the spirit of like a matchmaker, which still yeah. has the spirit of sort of a medieval torturer. Tony Ferguson feels like he's pure, purely in the shiny and chrome phase of his career. <laughs> where like he knows he's going to die. And he knows... Like he, he knows to, the journey he wants to die over. historic on the Fury Road. Yeah, and so he has just got a mouthful of silver spray paint, <laughs> and he, he which is this, 
Yeah, which in this po- in this case takes the form of D- David Goggins, who I had never heard of until he started uh, treating Tony Ferguson like a boot camp recruit. Oh yeah, and that's his that's his silver spray paint. And he's Joe. He's just gonna go run out there. And like, cause like, I, you know, I feel like the underlying thing is he knows he's done, but he can't admit it. The ego that is the thing. Yeah. The id knows that it is done. The yeah. ego cannot admit it at all. Yeah. You, you want to talk about Colby Covington, not clearly not enjoying MMA anymore. Yeah. Tony Ferguson is there too, but he can't acknowledge that that is the case. Yeah. That is, he is perhaps the most interesting of the many past their prime characters on this card because he's so clearly past his prime, but he has refused to change the way he fights. He can't fully acknowledge what is happening to him. And it almost, eh. it, 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 it feels even worse too, because then the solution of course has to be for him in this, in this situation where he doesn't like it. He, he, he he's not enjoying the whole the whole thing he's he's done his body is done yeah there's no joy in it his the solution then has to be to make it worse for himself yeah to make it more of a grind to make it harder and more soul crushing and more unendurable he's a flagellant yes and yeah, prime Tony Ferguson, Patty Pimblett is uh he he is a striker as a striker he is fueled purely by anxiety. Um you you watch like his fight against Jared Gooden and oh, really any Patty Pimblett fight too. Any. <laughs> I mean the fight and with Juliana Rosa. He fight he starts out pretty much entirely running backwards with his chin in the air, just trying not to get hurt and, or or when he's convinced himself that he has to do something else, charging at his opponent with his chin in the air, trying to hit them hard enough, fast enough that they won't be able to hit him back. Yeah. And things have to devolve into a full scale melee before he gets to the point that he is he has gotten through his jitters yeah to have the fight essentially I would love to ding you on your pronunciation of melee by the way but i am not yeah. sure how that word is pronounced <laughs> melee 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 but is it like is it melee or melee or yeah that's, that's always a tough one. <laughs> how does the, how does the guy on the GameCube melee? But he's gotten through the the he has to go through the melee to get. You're gonna do this thing now where you make you're gonna make me pronounce it different every time because but I now, swear the guy on like uh, Smash Bros. the GameCube version says melee. Yeah, I'm sure. I don't know. <laughs> that's a tough he, one. Has, he has to get through the chaotic battle. Yes. We'll just go with there that. We go. The fraca. The fraca. <laughs> Fracas. The, the brouhaha. Fracas. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he has to get through the Donnybrook to. Here we go. 
to get to a point where he's comfortable having the fight. Yeah. And even then, he's never really truly comfortable. Uh, he's just not good. I mean, I you know, this is a long way of saying, like, he's just not a good striker. He's, he's just not a good striker. Right there, and speed there that, that surprises. He's a better athlete than you think, looking at how sort of uncoordinated he looks on the feet. Yes. Yeah. Um, but he's just not a good striker. He's a, he is, however, a good grappler. Yes. And a good, a good aggressive back take artist who can find positions and exploit them. Yeah. And he's a young man who has yet to destroy his body, uh, despite his best efforts. Despite every effort. Yep. What Tony Ferguson has done on balance balls. Patty Pimblett has done on, on quarter pounders with cheese. Yeah. Has done at uh, has done at uh, greasy chip shops. Yeah, um, it's just like Ferguson. Ferguson is a is not no better a striker inherently, but he's so much more confident as one. Yeah, it, he could easily in his prime have just had his way with Pimblet by putting the pressure on and keeping it on and taking. Oh that come back let's not even talk about what he would have done to pimblet in his even his early post prime yeah he would have thrashed patty pimblet there's no denying that yeah but he's it, just, it, it, it just i've never like, seen a fighter more shot than tony Ferguson. yeah he could have success for half a round and at some point he is going to get cracked and when that happens he, it's just all going to go downhill. And the worst part is, is that what ha- when that happens too with Ferguson is that he starts trying to put out the volume that he used to have success with, but he tries to do it from further away and to pull things back more and more. So yeah. he doesn't get hurt again. So that then all of the accuracy starts to drop. Yeah. Cause he's not fighting his fight in the pocket anymore. He's fighting his fight from the edge of the pocket now. Yeah. And so it just becomes this performative dance of short-armed strikes where then his opponent gets to set up the takedowns they want, the power shots they want, whatever it is they want to do, they get to do because Ferguson is right there at the edge of range pantomiming offense. Yeah. And the, and the trouble is with Tony, and this is the real, like, the tragedy and farce of his sharp and, and sudden decline, ongoing decline, is that every single aspect of his game is so much a young man's game. Yeah. That none of it works. You know, Phil, Phil was saying um, to me the other day that, like, usually you expect the grappling to be one of the last thing that goes it's like punching power and like positional grappling these are like the last things that go because you keep your you get old but you keep your strength you keep your basic like muscle memory your your you keep some of your timing um but really you keep like your strength that is the last physical quality to go and yeah. that really helps with old guys continuing to be effective grinders. You know, how long was like Pat Healy shot before he retired? Who knows? Sure. Yeah. But he was never a great quick athlete anyway. It's hard to tell the difference because he just kept being big and strong. Didn't matter mm-hmm. how slow he got. He was if as long as he was still able to play his game, he was going to create some chances. But Tony Ferguson's game 
even in the grappling, is such a young man's game. It is so um, willfully ignorant of like positional concepts. It is kind of a major damnation of 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is all about sort of like crafty tricks and like weird yeah. stuff that you can do if your body is just right for it. And yeah. But there's not, a 10th, guaranteed there's a 10th Planet guy out there who still knows that like it's good to get in half guard and hit somebody, you know, <laughs> like whose game would not implode sure. the way Tony's has. Tony's but is I, such a sacrificial grappling game he's giving up guard he's creating scrambles like he's not trying to get people down and hold them there ever i do i mean i think it's partially like tony ferguson's mentality for it sure yeah but i also do feel like this is also the kind of stuff like there's a reason that the 10th planet style has never has never become a dominant yes jujitsu style in jujitsu even like at you know, tenth I mean, yeah, is to, it is to MMA grappling what like judo is. Yeah, like probably there's some very useful things you can pick up from it. In fact, definitely there are. But yeah, as a core style, it starts to look a little bit like uh, like Aikido. <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> it's like eh. like there's just a bunch of there's just a bunch of weird bullshit mixed in with it that when you are fast and super flexible and scrambly you can make all that weird stuff work yeah and then when you but like you don't want a grappling art to be you know purely about how young you are (laughs) no yeah and that's the that's the thing tony ferguson's whole game requires a young man and he is so clearly not a young man but he can't change so i will say this there is a not in not impossibly distant like Boy, it's it's really con- concerning how not distant it is. A possibility that Tony Ferguson still just beats the shit out of Patty Pimblett on the feet. Sure, sure. Because he went in there against Michael Chandler. I know even that was a while ago now. But he went in there against Michael Chandler, and because Chandler started pretty evasive, didn't put his foot on the gas right away, allowed Tony to pressure him. Mm-hmm. You could feel it. He was riding high. He was in his comfort yeah. zone. And he was giving Chandler problems. I mean, and he dropped Bobby Green early in their fight, too. Yeah. And he, like, when Ferguson has the confidence and is flowing, the fact that his striking isn't technical and isn't, like, geared to, you know, isn't, is geared towards speed and evasiveness through speed. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter that much because he's got the, you know, when he feels like he has the confidence to take shots, then he's sitting right there in the pocket and he is piling on creative offense that people don't expect. It's a yep. very Colby, like we've seen with Colby Covington. It's very similar. Yeah. And he and, has always been an underrated power puncher. Yeah. He's so big he, and long still. So yeah, it's still when something it, when to deal with. There. But the problem, like I said, is the body is shot. Yeah. And so, once he gets hurt, once something happens that takes that confidence away, and it is almost always bound to happen as yep. a 40-year-old dude who's been through the wars and who got hurt all the time when he was younger, too. Mm-hmm. When the confidence goes now, like you get him, you get the Tony Ferguson at the edge of range, 
trying to do his things, which just ends up being a pantomime of offense. It's all built to be a foot closer than he's willing to get. Yep. And that's just when it all gets sad. Yep. So, yeah, if if he can just run over Pimblet, then sure, it could happen. But Pimblet is so bad on the feet. He's but so Pimblet, bad. <laughs> He's so hittable. But if he can just survive uh, long enough to hurt Ferguson at some point or frustrate him. Or just smush point, into him and get him down. Like, or just smush into him and get him down. Yeah. You got to take Patty Pimblet. You just yeah. do. Patty Pimblet is not very good, but he is he's a young man yet. And that yep. is really the entire reason um, right. for, for picking him. Ferguson opened at plus 247. He's currently at plus 257. Uh, for, yeah, Ferguson. Uh, Pimblet opened at minus 333. He's currently at minus 303. Really feel like Pantoja should be a better odds to beat Brandon Royville than Patty Pimblet to beat Tony Ferguson. Yeah. All right, that brings us to our final fight of the main card, Vicente Luque, Ian Gary. Did it again, Zane. That Ian Gary, he knows how to pick him, doesn't he? Yeah. Each one feels like a sort of step up in one way or the other. But each one, you're like, well played, Ian Gary. Yeah, I see what I see what you're doing here. <laughs> you, you didn't choose this fight. Uh, out of uh, like witless bravado, you know, you, you have a plan and how to manage your career. And uh, uh, I mean, I'll say this Vicente Luque looked better enough again, certainly did RDA, that I'm not gonna write this off as just like a walkover for Ian Gary the way I might have. What I'm saying, Ian yeah. Gary didn't ask for uh, Vicente Luque, he didn't get matched with him after that loss to Jeff Neal. What, nope. what what good would that have been? Everyone yep. would have been like, ah, oh, you just beat up an old guy. You let him get that little like re-stabilizing win in there. Yeah, but we, we we do know he's 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 still pretty shot. Yeah, I mean, there I was rewatching the RDA fight, and uh, it you know you have to you have to remember what it was about that matchup that made it good for Vicente Luque, and it was not. An ability to just outbox RDA and to look like the pressure punching Vicente Luque of old. Yeah. Even was, as I just talked about the other day, I, I actually sort of highlighted in my mind the pressuring moments. Mm-hmm. I just rewatched it again after that discussion. It's not a lot of pressure. No. It's, it's mostly what it is, is that. RDA has to pressure to win. Yeah. And he could not physically afford to tie up with Vicente Luque. He was yeah. not big and strong enough to win that battle there. Yeah. Which makes it more of a welterweight RDA fight than it is a Vicente Luque fight of any kind. Exactly. Just him running up against the thing that prevented him from breaking through at 170. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean, I still am impressed with Luke's showing, I, I, especially because sure. I was so concerned about his health going into that, and I think yep. we still should be. Yeah, I mean, I still think that the brain bleed thing is bad. <laughs> yeah, but I also do tend to think that it it probably happens to fighters all the time, and they probably. don't know about it, and they recover from it, and they're fine, and oh. it's not good because it's still the way like. When it goes wrong, somebody dies. 
they die. Yeah, you just get a fucking aneurysm or something when you get hit. Like, yeah. I don't but know. when you recover, he, you know, it's probably it, he probably is not slower or diminished or more likely to. He may be a little bit more likely to die, but he's probably not more likely to get knocked out. Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is what I mean. How is it? How am I the guy who likes dark comedies when you're out here saying shit like that? <laughs> he might be more likely to die, but you know. But he's not more likely to get knocked out, is what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> like it might be like a on a continuum where it's like, okay, you're now five percent or two percent more likely to have this injury reoccur. But just, you're like not it. any more likely to ha- suffer any other ill effects during a fight. You may you have, know? Yeah. But documented brain injury. I mean, it's gotta be said, you know, knowing that about uh, himself, having received that, I'm sure very scary news. Um, Luke, he did he certainly didn't look bad against RDA. No, he didn't look like he was thinking about it. He didn't look fragile. He didn't look. Yeah, and he actually showed a pretty good, like, kind of back foot game. As much as it was not his A game, like, very good jabbing performance by Vicente Luque. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's clearly, you know, still capable of fighting a good fight. Uh, but yeah, that's why it's such a just such a perfectly cultivated matchup for Ian Gary, <laughs> who, who yes, he's annoying. I hate that I so often have the feeling of wanting to defend Ian Gary because. He is annoying in a particular way that really gets the goat of like some of the most contemptible MMA fans. Oh yeah, no, he's like the th- the thing they're most mad at him for is that he like basically he did like a hyphenate name with his wife. Yeah, it's he it's big Zoomer energy. Is what <laughs> they're like is. really mad about that. They're like, oh, that's so pathetic, simp energy. It's he took big... the name of his wife so that their their sons, one of which he adopted, would have the same name pathetic and i'm like that seems normal that seems fine it's just he's just a zoomer he is a zoomer ass zoomer zoomer mcgregor which means that he records everything and is way too online and is willing to be a little shit about absolutely everything yeah but isn't actually being uh like awful person no he's not he's just a grading you know he's yeah. just a big personality who's extremely confident yep and and you know arrogant that's part of that but i said well who was some fighter i can't remember who it was saying they didn't like ian gary in the way maybe it was patty pimblett even being like he didn't like the way Ian Gary handled himself and the way he treated Neil Magny. He's like Neil Magny was saying he hit his kid. That's the other thing is like now everyone's like, oh god, I, that was the thing that convinced so many MMA fans to hate Ian Gary. Yeah, it's the like, fact that he was appalled by Neil Magny openly admitting to beating his children. That's the thing I have to defend him Neil for. Magny scored the easiest own goal in the history of own goals. Now, did Ian Gary play up and overblow his reaction to it for like a TikTok video? Oh, the he way used that... it as fuel in the the conference too. I mean, I yeah. think he was genuinely motivated. I think he was genuinely angry. Sure, no but he also he zoomed it, it up. Oh yeah, oh he yeah, he did it, it for the for the show. He did it for the show, and that's what pisses people off. 
and I get that. But at the same time, like you shouldn't beat your kids. Yeah, <laughs> like he has a point. Neil Magny had Brendan Allen out there being like, "I'm a proud kid hitter." Yeah, I beat you my two year old daughter. Yeah. So and it's learning it is, real good. It is one of those things. I agree with you. I don't want to defend Ian Gary either, but like, his sins so far are very minor. He's he's annoying about things that are essentially good positions. So yeah, what, what are you gonna do? Yeah, I can't hate the guy. Yeah, he's anyway. just he's annoying in his very own way. And he's probably going to find out that a lot of MMA gyms are run by Gen Xers, which is, I think, what's really going on a lot around here for him. Yeah, conservative-ass Gen Xers, too. Yes, conservative-ass Gen Xers. And they want nothing. They hate nothing more. They will let every, like, you know, sex offender in the world come train and lead jujitsu classes. Yeah. But a Zoomer with Zoomer energy, get the hell out. It is there is a fascinating contradiction there because because Gary is a he's a hoofed guy. He will not anymore. Oh, is he not anymore? They gave him the boot. Uh-huh. I, I mean maybe he well he's, maybe I mean he's always been a bit of a traveler to different yeah. gyms. I I, I assumed I, he was I, still working with hoofed. I, I have heard that he got kicked out of that gym too. Oh. So he got kicked out of Kill Cliff and he got kicked out of uh, Team Renegade, Leon uh-huh. Edwards, as well. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I did wonder how 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 long can uh, can this guy who's annoyingly so, but still, I think, principled in a way. Yeah, how, how, how is he going to fit in with Team Evil? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Gilbert the, uh, Burns gets along fine, being a sweet little boy, but uh, how many, you know, Gilbert Leon Burns is Ed- probably also an agreeable personality. Yeah, the the Leon Edwards thing, apparently that gym was very much, the story that is being told is very much that, uh, you know, Gary was, it was the kind of, like, always filming his sparring sessions, always kind of making the gym atmosphere about him while he was training there, and mm-hmm. they just didn't want the... Like I say, I think it's just Zoomer energy. It's just yeah, yeah. This very online, very you know, everything overblown. What's my take on this kind of? Yeah, it is annoying. It is can't deny that. Anyway, the thing that got me to actually like Ian Gary in the first place, and the thing that is actually relevant to our breakdown here, is that um, he's a pretty good fighter. Yeah, he's thoughtful about how he fights too. He's a very smart fighter. He not only does he tailor his approach slight a little differently for different opponents, but he is a an essentially patient technical striker. Mm-hmm. He and extremely calm and poised, even in really crazy fights. He takes advice well. He's just very present in his fights, and he's very patient doesn't rush things. I mean, you could hold it against him, like in the Neil Magny fight. Why didn't he finish this guy? He did try. You know, minute or two left. He is really putting it on Neil Magny. Didn't happen. Yeah. Sometimes it does. Song Kinnan fight. Really turned it up right towards the end. Got Song Kinnan out of there. But what you can't fault him for is 
the fact that he is he is not giving away the fight at any point. Yeah. And he is building to that KO. Whether or not it materializes, I think the Magni fight, pretty clear example of uh, you give him a fourth round, he's finishing Neil Magni. Sure. No question. Um, but yeah, very patient, very mature for for the Zoomer-ass fighter that he is. Mm-hmm. And um, I got to pick him over Vicente Luque. I mean, a big question I have here is, is Luque going to pressure him? I kind of assume that he's going to have to because as long as he is not, it's not RDA he's dealing with. He is dealing with a fighter who notably has an excellent jab. Yeah. A very quick and active kicker. Someone who is, and a patient man who is more than happy to slowly pick him apart from long range. Yeah. And I mean, I just can't look Jeff Neal, Bilal Muhammad, yeah. Steven Thompson, Leon Edwards, what do these people all have in common? They're all very consistent, patient strikers. Yeah. Who work at one kind of, you know, they who who work at a pretty even pace. Yeah. Not ambitious. Don't get into a big firefight with people. They just go out and they they work a pace. Yep. And they can do it from range. And Vicente Luque has, you know, he lost to all of them. Yep. And you look at the people he's beating, a lot more of them are like Brian Barbarena and Mike Perry and Nico Price and Randy Brown. Yeah. And, you know, they're fighters who are just not that consistent yep. about the pace they set. And Ian Gary is... Very consistent. consistent. Yeah. Yeah. Super consistent. That's what I mean. He's very mature style. Even in his best version of Vicente Luque, he's a pressure counter fighter. Yeah. Which means that he wants to move forward and force you to make a mistake that gives him an opening. Yep. And fighters who don't make the mistake and don't just let them him walk them down. They tend to just be able to hit him over and over again because he's always having to walk into range. Yep. Over and over again. So it's bad for him if he's not pressuring, if that experience coerces him into pressuring. I think King Gary is of the guys you named, other than maybe Leon on a good day, is probably the best at dealing with pressure. Yeah. I mean, that was the thing that really sold me for the first time on Gary's mm-hmm. abilities was his fight with Gabe Green. Mm-hmm. He just had to deal with relentless aggression. And he was cool and poised. He didn't make a bunch of big errors. A couple, you know, like... Yeah giving away uh, the threat, kind of turning away, trying to get away out of the corner, but not a lot. And he kind of nailed that down. And largely, even when he was getting cornered, he was staying in a good fundamental position. He was keeping his jab as a barrier and he was ready to counter. Yep. Uh, Very, very cool under pressure. So yeah, you, you have to pick Ian Gary. It's a, uh, Good job, Ian. You know, yep. <laughs> it's a fight that people will notice. It means something, but it's a good style matchup for him. I know what you're up to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is not an accident. Gary opened at minus 238. He's currently at minus 337. Vicente Luque opened at plus 182. He's currently up at plus 282. I do feel a little bad for all of the yeah. diehard MMA fans that have just decided that he's not actually a very good fighter. That's going to be because a hard they don't experience. Like that yeah. attitude. And it's yeah. just like, 
I'm sorry, but he's going to contend for a belt at some point. Yeah, and yeah. you're just going to have to live with that. You got to be like us. You know, you don't have to agree with our uh, politics or whatever. But like, for example, Colby Covington is that guy for us. We're like, yeah. oh, my God, I hate him. Um, And certainly now I don't think he's particularly good, though he still has some essential qualities that make him difficult no matter what. Yeah. But I had to acknowledge a while back when he was in his prime, he's better than I want him to be. Yeah, there's a very functional game there that works and you know neither of us hesitated even a little bit to pick him over jorge masvidal oh yeah no yeah 100 percent. you got to be able to acknowledge that people might be better than you wish yep sean o'malley yep annoying all right hate him pretty good fighter on that note we're gonna close we're gonna we're gonna call this one Uh, i don't remember what how i sign off these shows anymore And uh, we'll be back in just a bit, though, for those of you who are Substack subscribers with a little extra bonus content just for y'all. So stick with us for su- if you're on Substack. And if you're not on our Substack, get on our Substack. Help us out. Ooh, get on that Substack. That's right. For our subscribers only. Subscribers content. only. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, Go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcasts and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.